Welcome to On the Mox with F.P. Wellman. I am F.P. Wellman here for another episode this week as we're getting ready for the midterms. A freaking six days out. No stress in my life at all, I assure you that. Hey, we're coming to you from the beautiful Bucolic suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri, Creve Court to be precise. As always, the podcast is sponsored by our friends at Vi Media. Vi Media is an award-winning digital marketing agency in the greater St. Louis area. And you're your marketing partner for, you know, that generates real proven growth for a variety of industries right here in St. Louis and nationwide. And you can serve all your marketing, digital marketing needs. The easy way to get hold of them is vi.media. That's V-I-E dot media on the web. Go there, check them out. They're great folks. They've been hooking me up. I hope you'll check them out. Man, like I said, crazy week. It's been a crazy week in politics. I think I say that every week though, Matt, right? It's been a crazy week. But with that, we got a lot to talk about. Midterms are Tuesday. And with that, on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Fred Wellman. This is On the Mox with F.P. Wellman. Hope you're on the right flight. So glad to have you here for the show. Uh, man, uh, the, this is the show we talk with smart people who are fighting for our democracy every day, across the country, even worldwide these days. Uh, you know, this is the last episode episode before the midterms, uh, the, and things are just nuts right now. Early voting is happening in many states, uh, down in Georgia, right here in Missouri. I myself voted uh, yesterday here in beautiful Missouri. It was easy. Record turnouts all over the place. You know, us political types, you know, <laughs> we're hovering with the stats daily, right? Every poll that comes out is stressful. It's, it's hard to tell the wheat from the chaff. Our friends in the polling world are getting beat up. Uh, my friend John Delavolpe. <laughs> and, you know, the polls are all over the place, and they, they've had a, ta- a tough run these last few cycles. Uh, so I thought I'd get one of the best ones in. Many of us believe that the youth and women's votes will be absolutely critical in this post-Roe world, this first election after the post-Roe world. We saw what happened in Kansas, where expectations were far surpassed, and they voted down the attempt to appeal abortion rights out of the Constitution, which surprised a lot of folks. Um, so... What does it mean for next week, right? Well, I have the privilege of knowing our guest for God darn, like 15 years, I think, right, John? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, he, there's just, there's nobody in the country that knows the youth of our nation better and studied them more in polling for the last few decades, literally decades, than John Della Volpe. So I want him to take us into the midterms. Timing is everything. <laughs> as it works. We were actually mm-hmm. supposed to talk a couple weeks ago and I got stuck in Georgia, but he just released the 44th edition of the Harvard Institute of Politics youth poll just last week and man's full of good stuff we're going to talk about it so john welcome to the show john del volpe is the director of polling at the harvard kennedy school institute of politics he's the author of the book fight right here <laughs> how gen z is channeling their fear and passion to save america published just earlier this year proud to have a copy of that washington post referred to john as one of the world's leading authorities on global sentiment opinion and influence especially young among young americans and in the age of the digital and social media. John's also the founder of Social Sphere, a great company, Cambridge, Massachusetts-based public opinions and analytics company. Piers Ruggie and MSNBC's Morning Joe, you're just there the other day, I believe, and his insights on the millennial generation and Gen Z are found in national media outlets in the U.S. and abroad, including The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. So, John, man, after all that, good to have you on the show, bro. I'm glad we could get you on here. <laughs> it is so great. It is so great to uh, to to be with you, Fred. Thanks so much. And um, it's a real it's a real honor. I mean, you've had a tremendous kickoff of several shows, and to be the, the perhaps the last word before the midterm election, uh, I've been looking forward to it. So ah, me too. I'm I'm thrilled. You know, it's um, it's just great. You know, John, I always ask everybody, how'd you get here? <laughs> 
right? I mean, a lot of us, you know, I was here, I think when we met at Harvard in 2007, I was still a Republican. I was getting recruited for classes because they needed some, uh, right. some token Republicans to go to classes. You know, you've been doing this for a long time. How did you get your start looking at, I guess, then millennials and, 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 and all that? Pro- you've been doing it for a couple of decades. Tell me your story. It's, yeah, thanks, Fred. And it's been so long that I actually started polling millennials before the generation even had a name, right? <laughs> right. Um, it, it's it, it's right. It's like the it's like the the ten thousand hour thing with with Gladwell, right? You need to do two things, right? You need to learn your craft, but there's also this like element of like luck to things, right? right. If like if if like Bill Gates didn't live near the University of Washington, wouldn't have access to the computer system that taught him how to code. Et cetera, et cetera, right? If I wasn't a pollster living in the Boston area, I'm not sure we'd be talking right now, right? right? But the story is in the in the winter of 1999, after uh, after you know spending some time at at the Institute of Politics or a variety of other projects, there were two undergraduates, Aaron and Trevor, who I'm still connected with, wow. um, asked their um, colleagues and staff at the IOP in those days to uh, they want to do a survey. And they really were interested in understanding the seeming disconnect between volunteerism or community service and voting. They did their homework and they realized that in the 1996 presidential election, only a third of young people participated. Wow. They said, doesn't our generation believe and understand that if we volunteer and we vote, we can kind of, you know, kind of close the gap, meet the challenges that much faster. Yeah. So um, the IOP thought it was a good idea. There were basically three of us, I think, polling in Boston. I think I was D, probably the head of the uh, uh, top person to talk to uh, before they got to K or H. And uh, here I am, 22, 22 years later. It was one, it was a one-semester project. It's a one-semester project. And again, that was, you know, 40-something semesters ago. Yeah, I was going to say, because you just issued number 44, which is a lot of semesters. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. What listen, fantastic and, and what's interesting about it is, right, we've seen, like, my business partner, Chavez, Jonathan Chavez, who you know, you know, kind of came through the program. Yep. You know, and, you know, we've had a member of Congress. We've had a presidential candidate, you know, uh, Secretary uh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, yeah. work on this survey with me. So that's the, that's the best part of this. That's why... I'm so confident in the survey every year because it's not me. It used to be a 30 or 40 or 50 something year old asking questions. I'm just channeling, channeling the curiosity of our students, you know, and, and their connections to um, each other, their other, you know, members of their generation and the country and just trying to put a frame around that and to add some perspective. Um, And that's what, that's what, I try to do. Well, I love it. And I noticed, you know, every semester there's, there's, there's actual current students who are, who are part of the project and, and yeah. leading it each of the youth votes run by so that's, it's fantastic. And, and the results speak for themselves. It is the, it is the gold standard uh, in youth polling. So, I mean, let's kind of dig into that. I mean, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, I was digging through the latest results this week uh, and, and, and it's great. And by the way, for folks who are listening and watching, I'll, I'll post a link on the, on, on the website, but I'm not sure what to think. You know, it, it, uh, it gives me this strange, I don't want to say this out loud, but feeling of optimism. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I think, you know, the youth will save us. Right. I mean, it, it is, it is, there's some really wonderful stuff and there's actually some interesting stuff you found. I mean, I've seen you on TV this week talking about it. You've seen some optimism and you know, what are the key findings that leap out at you right away? And, 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 and what should we be looking at that, that caught your eye right away? I think that right away, the most important message here, Fred, is to, to debunk the, the old conventional wisdom 
which says that young people don't vote. Right. Okay? If you were kind of a, a betting man in the 80s and the 90s and 2000s, you're probably going to be right more than you were going to be wrong in terms of kind of where that number was. Because when baby boomers, when Gen Xers, when millennials were of this voting age, under 30, they voted at roughly half the level that Gen Zers voted, wow. right? Between 1986 and 2014, the high watermark was 21 points, 21% of young people voted in the midterm election. The low watermark was in 2014, it was 16%, okay? <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with. And what happened is Parkland, Trump, and a variety of other things, and what the combination of those events, and we'll talk about them more later, I think, in 2018, it doubled the participation rate of young people. Okay. Right. In our survey, young people generally overestimate the degree to which they'll vote. Okay. Okay. So if they say 40%, that um, usually translates like 33 to 35%. Okay. So, but that's been, and that's been a constant over the course of the last couple of decades or so. Okay. The message, what I saw in this poll, what I saw in the spring poll actually was even before Dobbs, there was a heightened interest in this election. Right. Dobbs only created more energy and the same number of people in this survey indicate they will vote as, as um, was the case in 2018 wow. of which we saw that record turnout. Okay. Right. So I don't see anything in this data to indicate that we're going to take a giant step back, that this generation will be like others where they turn out once, but never again. I don't see anything in this data to indicate that's um, that's a fact. So I think the headline was, we'll approach or even exceed this uh, turnout figure from, from 18. Interestingly, those who live in battleground states are even more energized and even more likely to vote than those who live in predominantly red or predominantly blue states. Yeah, I caught that. It, it seems there's a great enthusiasm. So we're hearing great, <clears throat> that all translates to enthusiasm, right? It's always the, the big worry we have as campaign people is the enthusiasm of our voter base and getting them all out. You know, I can't tell you how often I fight um, with people all the time. That's kind of scary. But, you know, saying, well, you know, there's more Dems registered than Republicans. I said, yeah, but nobody should, they don't show up. It's about who shows up. It's, it's just like right now in Ukraine, right? I use the same example. Yes, Ukraine's outnumbered by the Russians but not in Kursan, <laughs> right? Kursan, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing you, you get your, you know, if your enemy doesn't show up in the right place, you can win. And that's the case here. If we, if, if we show up and we show up in the right numbers, we can win whether we're, whatever the registration numbers are. Right. And so, so yeah, you said it looks like it's historic things. And by, <clears throat> and, and what I also saw was like nearly two to one margin, likely voters prefer a democratic control of Congress, uh, 57 to 31 and only 12% remain undecided. What does that say to you? So, so they are leaning democratic, obviously. Yeah, he- heavily. So that 60% threshold is a, is, a, is a really important number. And that's kind of like the threshold to make, to, to, to generally can make things to be an average to a good to a, a really great night Yeah, for, for Democrats. Right. So, um, you know, for Democrats to be successful, they certainly need to push that 57 into, into the mid sixties, which I, I think they can, Yeah, you know, for perspective in 2018, um, Pew did the, uh, the, 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 the voter file validated survey and they found that 70% of under thirties, uh, voted Democrats, 70%. Wow. Okay. Um, the exit poll said it was closer to the mid sixties. Okay. But you're dealing mid sixties to 70%. Yeah. Um, so that's like, that would be the high, that would be the high watermark Trump literally on the ballot with the movement of Parkland, um, um, in 2020, different electorate, larger electorate, Biden uh, on a national basis got 60%. So, um, and that was enough 
that that 60% among young people, that 20 point margin was enough in those five battleground states to overcome the margin that Trump had among older citizens over the age of 45. So we need to get to 60, hopefully in the, hopefully in the mid sixties, if you're a Democrat. Wow. And, and, you know, jumping ahead, some question I had later, do you think a lot that's helped by, we know Rose motivating them. Do you think this recent thing with the marijuana issue for that's always been an issue with the Gen Zers, uh, the, you know, the, what the president did, at least the federal level, are, are these the right moves to make to motivate them more? And they'll so I mean, we're also facing a, the, the headwind of his, his popularity has dropped a bit, right? Yeah. So, so going all the way back to like why we started this, okay. Which okay. is this question about why do, why do, and most, and most, you know, off year elections and most midterm elections and more young people will literally volunteer in a meaningful way in their community than vote, right? If we're right. dealing with only, you know, four, four out of five staying home in, in typical years, not the case now. But so there's not, there's not apathy, but you know, in, in, uh, for, for America, it was just, they didn't think their vote really mattered too much. Okay. Right. So, um, in a, a predictor of the degree to which someone will vote is oftentimes can they see the tangible difference between voting or voting for one party over the other party. Okay. So I think this, I think partisanship works in two ways, right? The negative partisanship, right? The threat of, um, of what's on the other side. We're seeing that in a very tangible way, of course, with, uh, uh, with, uh, with a Dobbs, with a Dobbs decision and other, concerns in the future in terms of where that could lead around privacy on one hand, that's the negative part of this. Yep. Um, in addition to healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. On the other side of that, there's a positive element of this, right? You're reminding young people that they voted in 2020 for democratic administration led by president Biden, who was under three or four specific things for them, yep. specific things. Okay. Including, um, um, uh, um, addressing the student debt crisis. Yep. Check delivered one second is making progress for the first time in generations. Okay. On, on, um, gun control, gun reform, yep. um, did that in a bipartisan way check. And then of course, a significant investment in climate change. Okay. Right. Those were, you know, I took a leave from Harvard. I worked on that campaign. Those were among the specific reasons that young people voted in 2020. Those were the questions that I was being asked in 2021, 2022, by younger people saying, where are those things? That's why we, we, we turned out. So without question, adding, 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 um, uh, marijuana onto that and a variety of other things, of course, in terms of, uh, you know, COVID relief and small businesses, et cetera, um, I think is a, is a very, very strong record and will keep people engaged and involved in the system to show that you participate you vote, you remind folks in Washington what you did and why you did it. You demand things back, and, yeah. you know, and this is politics. So yeah. um, I'm optimistic. Again, it's hard to disaggregate this, but I'm, I'm optimistic that the combination of the negative as well as the positive can, can um, uh, and, and really kind of uh, fuel some of this uh, increasing levels of, uh, of, of, of participation, I think we'll see. And it's been a long time since any of the administrations can say specifically to it was millennials before them and then Gen Z. Here's the issues you wanted addressed. And in two years, they've addressed them. I mean, there really is no way to deny that they haven't made. I mean, if nothing else, even the effort, I, think, I mean, I think past administrations didn't even make the efforts. I mean, they to come at the student loan, to come at um, the climate change. Those those are very yeah. direct. There's there's no way you can ignore those. They 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 did deliver and at least try to deliver. Right. 
Yeah, and by the way, Fred, uh, the um, the incredibly important investment in mental health resources, right? right. Um, you know, is is an, is another thing. Again, it's not well known. It's not you're not seeing this in the commercials. You know, we can talk about that later, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I have a hard time. I have a hard time thinking about a more you know youth focused youth forward administration. Ironically, yeah. you know, than than President Biden in terms of what he has what he, what he's delivered. I'll tell you just a, a an interesting kind of story. But um, every, every generally, most years, we take a couple of our students to Washington, D.C., as you might know, yep. you know, and we kind of show them a little bit in terms of um, how a press rollout works and they can take some questions. It's a, it's a learning experience. Yeah. We've been honored um, many times to brief members of different administrations, you know, Obama administrations, members of Trump administration, et cetera. And we were honored that um, our students members of our team were able to brief this current white house administration. Surprisingly, as we were leaving, the president heard we were here Hmm. in the white house and he asked two of our students to stay back. He had a 30 minute direct conversation with young people, direct the president to our two students engaging for, I think a solid half hour Hmm. about what was on their mind, what he needed to know, et cetera. Um, we talked a lot. They talked a lot about climate. They talked a lot about mental health, anxiety, this feeling of being under threat. So, um, again, not a lot of people appreciate this, but he truly is as connected to younger people, more more connected to young people than I think many people appreciate. You know, as we sit here, too, I think with the fact that he's married to a community college teacher, <laughs> professor, right? I mean, you want to be connected to the youth of today. His, his wife, Dr. Biden, of course, is an instructor. She, she, she teaches this generation. She knows intimately their daily lives and what they're dealing with. It's, it's a, a super, a super secret. We don't talk about enough. I think that the, that the first lady of the United States actually is directly involved in educating this next generation. So it's, uh, I think yeah, it's a great point. Them. So also you said that, uh, now I thought this was fascinating, more than seven in 10 young Americans in this, 72% believe the rights of others are under attack. 59% believe their own rights are under attack. How do you unpack that? What, in, in what way is that unpack? So um, thanks for flagging that. So, so one of the more interesting findings in the last year, you know, because I'm doing work, as you said earlier, outside of Harvard as well, but I did a, a survey that was part of a project we did for um, – with Snapchat in January, late January of, of, of this year. And, um, and we looked at, you know, several thousand 18 to 34 year olds in that survey. And what we found was that concern about losing individual rights and freedoms was paramount, regardless of ideology, regardless, regardless of, of partisanship or political party. Okay. So this is well before Dobbs, well before the Alito League. There's yeah. this concern that like America, so, so you have, you have that is kind of in, 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 in the air, in the environment. And then you also have, I think these, these, these just like horrific, horrific, uh, you know, attacks on, um, on members of the LGBT community, right. You know, uh, you see rise, uh, of anti-Semitism, right. rise of racism, hate crimes, bullying, et cetera. Right. There's just a sense that individuals for any variety of reasons are just kind of feeling under attack. And I think that comes out uh, loud and clear in this thing. Sadly, you know, um, when we ask, do you feel under attack? You know, you have, um, you have over 70% of members of the LGBTQ community 
indicating that they feel under attack, Fred. Wow. And, um, and there's a direct correlation, okay, to that versus the mental health series of questions that we ask, um, where we also find that members of the LGBTQ community who feel under attack are significantly more likely to have thoughts of self-harm on a regular basis. Right. So this is serious business. I think that there are too many, you know, um, we're seeing this play out today. We're seeing this play out this week uh, uh, from, from, I think from the Pelosi story, Yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, scapegoating right. the other. And it has, it hurts people. It has detrimental effects, um, not just to our politics, but sadly to uh, individuals' um, lives. Well, having read, you know, having raised a couple of Gen Zers, right? It, they are they are much more aware, I think, of, like you said, the others' others' rights, others others the attacks on others. They're much more aware, I think, than the generation I've seen before, of others. As strange as that sounds, you know, I, and and it's it, I think it plays out in these polls, but you do see it in there, the the anger you see, and it is the anger. It, it, what we say a lot in, in in my campaigns and others is these attack on trans kids, these attack on, you know, the, the, the genders, the bathrooms and the, you know, it, it's a mental health attack. It's an attack on their mental health. It's an attack on their lives, but it also affects others. It, it, it affects their allies and their peers. People are, I think they, I think a lot of these older folks, they think they can attack just the, it's just going to, they're just going to these kids, which is what like four in most States, right? Like the, the girls sports issues. But this generation is so pointedly aware of the equality that goes with it. I, I talked to my, um, Oh, my, my girlfriend's son quite a bit. He's a junior in high school. And, and that's when they, they have, they have kids coming from out there, they're bust out there to their district and you know, black kids and, and they're, they're a minority. Right. And, and he's so hyper aware of the struggles they have. He's talked to me, he's come home angry, not for his own issues he's dealing with, but seeing how these other kids have been treated. It's really interesting dynamic that this generation is a little bit different. I think that's exactly what you're seeing in this poll, right? Exactly. And that's why, and that's, I think that's like the spirit of this generation, right? right. And, and years ago, um, when they we would when we would visit with them in town meetings, I would ask them like, when you go into the voting booth, like, what are you thinking? Like, why? Like, who are you? What's your identity? Are you are you representing a, a party, an ideology, an issue when you're voting? And time after time after time, you hear, "I'm voting for." someone who's got less rights than I do, right? The DACA recipient, my great grandmother, you know, um, so-and-so, right? From another state, right? Who, who, who all of a sudden lost her, 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 her rights to control her own body. Right. right. So I'm, I'm seeing that I'm seeing that consistently and that among many things is kind of what gives me hope, you know, so yeah. many, so many um, folks from the right, you know, try to punch down and make cheap jokes at the expense of, uh, of folks, you know, who are more vulnerable, uh, who are vulnerable, young people generally, but young people who are dealing with their own, you know, identity in whichever way are among the most vulnerable in, in our society. So to yeah. think that they're often the, um, the, the topic of some, you know, whatever, scoring a cheap political point is kind of sick. Do you think that translates into anger? Like when you see a Ted Cruz, which you don't like to do because he's a beast. Uh, but you know, you see Ted Cruz, who's by the way a podcaster now, not a senator. You see him on his ridiculous fucking podcast, you know, talking about how these student loan uh, debt reliefs is for that, you know, that lazy barista, you know, who with his twelve, you know, that he, the smears that he attacks these kids. Do you think that that target their attacks actually make it? I, I, 
more than even our generation. This generation is much more aware of those attacks. It's not just because it's them, it's their peers. It's, I mean, I think we found out, what is it something that the student loan debt forgiveness, I think it retires what 40% or more of all Latino student debt or some ridiculous number. Um, I mean, do you think they feel those attacks more than just, not just those kids, but as a whole generation, those attacks really fail, right? Yeah, yeah, well, what's really interesting about this, a um, couple different points on this, right? Yeah. One is Ted Cruz says these things because he knows that within a certain constituency, they're popular, right? He's yeah. hearing yeah. outside of his studio, right? okay, you know, let's hear more of this. Yeah. When I ask Americans, and I've done this several times, okay, to rate not just, you know, the president or different institutions, but rate the impact that the silent generation has had on America, baby boomers, et cetera. Okay. Just, you know, kind of given the amount of time that they've had, you know, how do you have a favorable, unfavorable pressure of the following generations? Baby boomers routinely rate millennia, uh, uh, Gen Zers incredibly negatively, like two to one negative. They have a one third approval rating or favorability rating of essentially their kids and their grandkids. Okay. A third. Um, now what's interesting, despite the okay boomer, that's not necessarily reciprocated. Hmm. Okay. So I'm not saying that Gen Zers like love elder generation, but they certainly have more respect and certainly kind of a more balanced view of, hmm. of their contribution than their basically than the parents and grandparents have essentially kind of their own, their own kids. Wow. And I'm at the point now where, listen, Fred, there's been no generation who has dealt with more trauma more quickly Okay. Um, uh, in their young lives before the, the, the average human brain is even fully mature in the age of about 25, according to neuroscience, than this generation of Gen Z, right? Um, ever since, you know, relative in the last 70 years since the greatest generation. Yeah. Okay. Um, and despite the, 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 the trauma and the, and the, the anxiety around the recession, around opioids, around school shootings, around climate change, you know, um, I could go on. Um, um, they could have withdrawn, they could have fleed or fled, but instead they leaned in um, to fight and to participate and to, to try to change things. I think it's quite remarkable. And on that note, transitioning that, so, you know, I was at the, I had the privilege to go to the Congressional Black Caucuses retreat uh, in, in the summer with uh, Marcus Flowers. And one of the interesting things that uh, one of the gentlemen there said, uh, Hakeem Jeffries said, he goes, you know, one of the things we have to do better as Democrats is we always get bogged down in the issues, right? (laughs) And and he he said, you know, you have to remember that issues divide and feelings unite. And the Republicans have been very good Mm -hmm. at at handling those issues, right? The emotions, the feelings. And unfortunately that feeling is anger (laughs) a lot, right? We see that a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Mm -hmm. how do we, how can we do a better job of of capturing the feeling? And and you kind of think you touched it in in fight is the, the, how do we as maybe political operatives and strategists and they're just average Americans, how do we do a better job of capturing, and I I mean this very weirdly, but the, the feelings of Gen Z that we can motivate them. How do I, how do I pile on to, cause it is easy to get bogged down in issues. And I know it turns people off. We, it's a weird question, but what do you think? How do we do a better job of capturing the feelings of the Gen Z and then providing them something they need and then helping us helping our candidates? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. And oftentimes I love the way you ask that question is oftentimes I'm asked it in like the opposite way, right? What's the message. Okay. Right. That's gonna like resonate. Right. right. And that's, the wrong way to ask a question, right? So the way in which kind of we think about it is basically kind of values, feelings, values, okay? Values trump the messenger, 
and the messenger trumps the message. Okay. So you have to start first um, with values. And the way you do that is we don't talk about, gee, you know, the swing voter in X district, okay, is a 40 year old male independent. No, he's a millennial. Okay. Let's understand what his experience has been like based upon where he lives, right? He has a very different life experience than you and I do. Okay. Or a Gen Zer does. So we have to really think carefully about these experience and why we think or why we feel the way that we do. We don't need to agree with us. Okay. But we need at least, at least to internalize it. I gave a, uh, a talk at a similar at a similar get together, okay, um, uh, on on Capitol Hill earlier this year, and um, the one comment I made, I think, really kind of caught the room by surprise. I hadn't thought about it. I said that we're talking about Gen Z at this point. They had voted twice, eighteen and twenty, right. much higher levels than anyone previously. They said this generation doesn't have a memory of America at our best when we were united. Okay. They don't remember 9-11. They certainly don't remember September 12th or September 13th. Right. With regardless of your partnership, you hung the flag. Okay. They don't remember that. All their experiences have been a bitterly divided country. That's the difference between a millennial and a Gen Z. A millennial will remember 9-12. A millennial will remember John McCain, you know, um, uh, on election night in 2008 as well. Right. This generation doesn't. Okay. Mm -hmm. So come on, come understanding that. And then understanding, you know, the four or five key parts um, of their upbringing that kind of connected this generation around systemic racism from Floyd, the climate strike with Greta, the Parkland strike, and, and the concern about guns from Parkland, you know, the chaos of a Trump presidency. And the other thing I talk about in the book, which came to a surprise of many, is going to understand like the drivers of Occupy Wall Street. You right. know, they were young, but their first experience of politics is this lens of inequality. Okay. So though you get to tap into those feelings, Fred, that's how you start to have this conversation relationship with, with, uh, with young voters. What an eye-opening thought. I mean, you're right. I, again, I, I'm, I'm so fortunate to be able to talk to you about these guys because I have the unique experience of having four kids. Two are millennial, right? They're a little older. And mm-hmm. then the two, my two youngest are pure Gen Zers. They were two and three on 9-11. So you're right. They don't have those memories. They, they don't form memories to their four or five. It's, it's a really, it's a very important distinction because then we have, so their early memories of money is 2008's recession and 20 years of war, you know, and, and it's really unique, uh, formative experience. And it's funny how it going back to something we said earlier, um, the callback to our, our boomers, right? Boomers remember World War II, right? They grew up after World War II. They don't actually, we forgot boomers didn't live through World War II. Boomers didn't live through the depression. I have a World War II dad, right? He lived through the depression and World War II. And, and you see that in the, right? Because the boomers ended up being what, you know, hippie generation, <laughs> you know, go, Woodstock is boomer, right? It, it's, I think we, we, we right. forget that. Can I, and so those are very different experiences. And that's just one generation apart, right? The World War II generation, like you said, the silent generation, the greatest generation versus the boomer, such a, I think we've forgotten that divide that exists in those generations. And in our modern era, we're forgetting there's actually a divide probably even between, like you said, X, millennial, and we're talking about X, <laughs> we're forgotten, <laughs> but you know, X, millennial, and then you're right, the Gen Z experience is so very unique. I think we, we ignored our peril right at this point. We, we, we failed to understand it at our peril. And that's, you get into a fight, right? That, that this motivation, you focus on some wonderful young, obviously David Hogan, others are very big in the book. Um, what motivated them? I mean, the, we joke about these school shooter drills, but this is their life, right? I mean, it's a very different experience than what we experienced. 
And it's difficult to um, a couple a couple of observations. You know, I did a, a tremendous amount of traveling and spending time in a variety of different settings, right? Yeah. And you can still you can still feel, you know, if you just ask them what's a good day, right? Ask them what's on their mind, what keeps them up at night. These are just these are the questions that we can ask, you know, in in any sort of setting or focus group that quickly um, opens up uh, these these meaningful these meaningful conversations. For example. Um, Let's take the issue of mental health for, for just as, as, as one issue, okay? You know, the Harvard research indicates that half of this generation feel more days than not of the last two weeks that they have had feelings of hopelessness, depression, or anxiety. Half of that number, 25, 26%, say it's so bad that more times than not of the last couple of weeks, they've had serious thoughts of self-harm or suicide. 5% every single day, wow. which means that in every high school, in every college, Hopefully not in every middle school, but probably in every middle school. There's a handful, dozen, or more of young people under so much, you know, so the weight is so heavy on their shoulders. They're walking around the school thinking about ways to, like, relieve that pain, okay? And it doesn't take long to kind of feel that when they walk into a new classroom and they look, look around, window, okay, courtyard, door, right, window. Right. right. What's going to, what, what are my options here? Okay. My These things don't, you know, this is their first memory, you know, of, of grade school in many cases. Right. And that doesn't leave you very easily. So um, that's what we, you know, it's just a very different experience um, than I think we have. And again, um, don't just take the, the survey data or what I say, look at the hard data, look at the, what the CDC says, right. right. That after this period, of relative stability, we talk about this in the book of deaths by suicide you know, among millennials. When the eldest member of this generation turned 13, 14, 15 years old, we see this 47% spike in deaths by suicide. It's the second leading death among young people, right? So, um, and, by, and by the way, it's not just connected to all the traditional things that stress is connected to among younger pre- people about academic life and personal relationships, social right. media, but the disquiet in our politics is adding even more stress to it. Right. Right. You know, it's exacerbated by the way, exacerbated when they are the target, you know, right. of, of folks trying to score cheap political points. And right. Derision. It harms people. And derision. Right. And it's, 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 you know, I, I'm, I, you've known me long enough to know that I've had a mental health journey that I've been very public about. Um, I went through challenges with my with PTSD from war and, and I, and I, I really do. It's, and it's funny. We, we, Again, my personal experience, I got my cup here. You know, it's the thing about this generation, and, and I used to talk with my mental health is PTSD especially gave me a cup that was already about 90% full, right? And mm. when your cup is already 90% full, it takes a lot less to f- overflow it, right? And it does, what I, when you, mm-hmm. what I hear you describing is our, uh, we have a whole generation in many ways of kids who already are coming into the day with a cup that's half full mm. already. Right. And we and I think we 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 ignore that danger at our peril. Right. I mean, as parents and as 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 policymakers, even more so. Um, well, mm-hmm. equally, I suppose. But, but I think that's, that's what you just described to me. That's why I'm kind of nodding my head. I was like, yeah, that's how I used to describe my day is not just three mm-hmm. or four years ago. I would I would start a day even when we met at Harvard and I was dealing. And I remember <laughs> I'm very open about it. I, went to, I remember going to the mental health care there and I, I told the lady I was having a hard time second semester. And she's like, well, let me tell you about your day. <laughs> you're let's see, you're, you're taking eight classes a week or whatever at Harvard. Uh, I see you're a, a fellow uh, and aren't you going back to war when you graduate? Yeah. She goes, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know, but, but now I take a kid, right? Like you said, that they've got, they've got the peril of knowing that school is actually a dangerous place for them. Right. 
Um, you start there and it's interesting. It's interesting. We, I think we ignore these full cups that of a younger generation at our peril. Um, not just, as, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, as parents, but we as policymakers are those who work with policymakers need to understand what we're up against. It's really a, what a unique insight into that generation that you've been able to find in, in the book. I can't recommend it enough. You know, another poll you did recently talked about civics and schools for Gen Z you had some interesting results there. You know, do you feel, I mean, I, I think I think, I think I talk about a lot on the show, if you've seen it is, you know, our institutions, the challenges our institutes are, are facing right now, the failures of our institutions that meet this, this moment like this. Right. And, and I, and I, do you think our institutions like the media, political party, schools um, are understanding the needs of this generation and the concerns or outlooks? I mean, what are our institutions? First of all, what can our, institu- what are the institutional failures you think? And then what can we do and recommend to make sure we address these things? Um, well, I thank you. It's, an, it's, it's, an, it's a question. Uh, I think younger people don't believe they're being listened to. Okay. okay. When we ask the survey you're referring to is a back to school survey I did, yeah. um, uh, among mem- members of Gen Z in high school. Um, it was, it was sponsored by murmuration and the Walton family foundation, which yes. is interested in empowering, lifting up young people. Okay. Yeah. So, so we really want to hear what their experience was. They believe their, their close friends get them. Right, their parents, their teachers are making a good effort. Okay, but administrators, elected officials, locally or nationally, are just completely disconnected in the minds of these young people. Right, they're telling us not only are they concerned about life after high school, but they're concerned about sexual violence in their school. Okay, they're concerned about school shootings. They're concerned about a variety of issues that most, I think, other adults don't really appreciate is is in their mind. Right, so right. there is a a significant, I think failure, frankly, right, of our, uh, specifically, I think, of our public institutions related to education around modernizing the curriculum and modernizing the experience to, to best prepare young people for life after, you know, their, their, their public school experience. Um, number one, on one hand. On the other hand, anecdotally, you know, um, as you said, I've been doing this now for a couple of decades, mm-hmm. talking about my insights related to young people, and I have felt like, and of course, I'm sure there's a correlation with my book, um, but even where I'm invited to speak, there is a curiosity. And even where I'm going to a larger conference of which I'm just kind of one presenter, I just feel like there is such an interest in this generation by a, 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 a variety of, of, uh, of stakeholders um, that I didn't feel was really ever present during the conversation I had around millennials. Private sector, public sector, the media, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's governments. I think that's a good thing. We have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, I started talking about the mental health crisis four or five years ago. It's now it's something that many people, more, many more people are aware of, but um, I'm cautiously optimistic that some of the stakeholders are beginning to pay some attention. Does the pandemic have something to do with that too? I think a lot of us as parents, you know, having the kids home for a couple of years, the, the pandemic brought a lot of this home to us, right? And, and of course, we've exactly. seen the results of that. It, it does feel like we've all kind of come away from the pandemic saying, well, this isn't working, right? Um, so many parents yeah. have became teachers. I mean, do you think, and by that same token though, so the reverse of that, John, I think about too, is the way that our schools have become political battlegrounds. Here where I live in Eureka, uh, near, well, Eureka School District, or Rockwood School District, excuse me, we've had these two, you know, two people who are like the big anti mask CRT people get elected to the school board. Our schools and their districts have become a battleground. The first act these ladies did, I say ladies generously, 
um, was mm-hmm. to get rid of four programs that specifically supported the African-American students that I was mentioning earlier that are being because they, quote, didn't serve all students. So our, our schools have become political backgrounds, battlegrounds in very direct ways. I feel danger there. Should I be worried? Uh, you should be. You, you should be worried. I am worried because, listen, it's a, we, we know what's happening, right? They, right. They, they, you know, kind of, uh, you know, there's a specific plan, right, to undermine the judiciary. There's a specific plan to undermine the legislature, legislatures and a specific plan to undermine like the, the, the our our community schools, right? This right. is not um, an accident. Okay, this is not an accident. Uh, I am very concerned because what it also does is, and I and I spend a lot of time talking to people in these in these kinds of communities, right? Like, do you think it makes you more likely or less likely to have the average mom or dad to serve on the school board, right? Do you think it makes them the ad, you know, you know, who just wants to do the right thing, right? To, to, you know, to whatever, to build a playground, right. Or to, or to help provide some sort of instruction, right. It, 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 it makes it more difficult for good people, you know, who want to help everyone help the community kind of share their skills and share their time, less likely to do so. So they're not, you know, um, uh, you know, talked about on social media in ways which are, you know, which distorts the truth. Um, but I will tell you two things that will be more optimistic. Okay. Okay. One of which is when it comes to education, education, politics, um, and a lot of other elements of politics is younger people, whether the Democrat or Republican have more in common than we think a younger Republican and a young Democrat have more in common in terms of the way in which they see school than a younger Republican and older Republican or younger Democrat and older Democrat. Hmm. Okay. So on teacher unions, for example, okay. Um, a young Republican doesn't really have anything against teacher unions. They've got like a, a more favorable than unfavorable view. Right. That's a Democrat issue on the school choice. Okay. A young Democrat doesn't have anything against school choice. They think it's, it makes sense. We, we should have choice, more choice in society. And, um, and they're aligned with a young Republican, hmm. an older Democrat, not really into school choice so much. Right, right. Right. So, so there's a lot of common ground hmm. values wise among this younger generation of Gen Zers, as well as millennials for those parents. Hmm. Right. So, so outside of Harvard, I'm really trying to think about ways in which I can continue to kind of empower younger people to participate in, in these local elections for school board, because hmm. the far right sees this as an opportunity you know, to kind of create more divisions, but it can't happen if, if the people who actually have kids in school vote, right. Hmm. If they vote, it's not going to happen. So we have to, we have to, we have to promote that, that, uh, that cause at the local level. I love it. Um, I like to end some optimism. I mean, it, it looks like, you know, we're feeling good. I, I work with voters tomorrow, as you know, and um, a lot of our, our, a lot of our folks uh, are, are promising, you know, they, a big turnout for Jen. And that's what you're predicting. So, so we're six days out from the midterm, you know, John, should we see some optimists? I mean, should we're, I guess I should cook it. The polls keep going back and forth, you know, red wave, blue wave, whatever, but it does feel like they're not counting this generation Z, right? They're, they're, that Gen Z is not actually being in those numbers. Should, should it be, somewhat optimistic of those of us who want to see some change and, and see us hold the house and the, and the Senate will, will Gen Z's, I guess what I'm asking, do you think Gen Z will save us? <laughs> will the youth save us John? Listen, I, we, we just talked about all the pressure and anxiety that Gen Z yeah. already. Let's not feels, add more, right? right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not really their job. Right? To save us. So it's not really, I don't know if it's like their job to save, you know, 
to do what we should have been doing, right? Right. You know, the last 30 or 40 years. Okay. Right. Having said that, young people were literally the difference in Arizona presidential and Michigan and Georgia, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Joe Biden won those states by a point or less in some right. cases. Okay? Right. He lost everybody over the age of 45. It's large numbers of folks under 30 that made that difference. Okay. Yeah. If, if Fetterman wins in Pennsylvania, okay, he will probably win 60 plus percent of this under 30 vote. Okay. Wow. Young people will play a key, key role in that. I'm not saying that's going to be all of it, right? It's the most diverse generation, but um, that's going to be a big, big, big story. Now, um, so I would, I would, I would look for uh, every one of these races, most of these races, Democrats are winning the millennials and Gen Z and they're losing folks over, you know, over 50, Yeah, you know, so it's about mitigating the loss over 50, narrowing that, which Biden did a really good job of in 20 relative to 16, yeah. narrowing the, the gap among seniors and then building up, um, that, that base. But, um, listen, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the data to indicate this is a wave election. Okay. Right. It's not going to be a red wave. All right. right. Uh, I, it's not going to be a blue wave. If there's any wave, it's a Gen Z wave. And only thing I can tell you from all these polls I've been looking at, it's just really close. Right. You know, everything is just within the margin of, of, of error here. Right. You know, and CBS poll, NBC polling, look at it over the course of the last year, we're the same place we were a year ago. Two points. Republicans up by two. Mm-hmm. You know, depends upon who turns out. Yep. And by the way, the last thing I'll tell you being op- to leave you optimistic. Okay. Given the president's approval rating, given what history says about a first-term president, given the rate of inflation and this economic anxiety, for us to be even having a conversation about a close race, right, tells me tells me that there's something potentially missing from this conversation, okay, um, and that there could be this missing piece. And it very well could be an underrepresentation of younger people. Well, that's fantastic. That's great. So with that, obviously, we've got the book up front, Fight, uh, available everywhere you get your favorite books, right? <laughs> Doing very well. Um, where else can we find? I mean, what's what's current you're working on? Right, I should get working on a lot. You're always working on something. Uh, where can we find you? What are you working on right now, John? Uh, too much. So uh, I'm posting a lot of, lot on Twitter at yep. Della Volpe. Um, on day before the election, during the election, I'll be over at MSNBC. Um, doing that, um, which would be great. I appreciate that opportunity to be a contributor there around the book. We'll hopefully continue to do more of that. And, um, and just look, we're doing exit polling. We're doing a lot of qualitative that we'll be reporting um, through the media uh, after the election to do a little bit of a, kind of a, a what did we learn as well. So great. We're going to talk. Don't play, but we'll talk um, more. Um, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to do, to do all this. Oh, thanks for joining us. John. I really appreciate it. Of course, uh, all of our listeners and, and uh, viewers, as always, I'm at FP Wellman on Twitter still for now. Uh, <laughs> I've also uh, upped my game. My, <laughs> Cause shit got crazy. Posted, yeah. Shit got crazy lately, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. It's all good. I'll, I'm not going to buy my blue check, but whatever. Uh, also, I, I'll, I'll emphasize my Instagram account now. Cause uh-huh. Uh, FP Wellman official everywhere else, right here on the show feed on democracy pod everywhere. Really pleased to have you guys join the show. Hope you'll like it. Uh, subscribe, leave a review, say nice things about John. He's got great hair. <laughs> He's a great, smart guy. And John, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us in the show. We'll be back again next week. I think we'll be remote next week, right, Matt? Because I'll be down in Georgia, um, probably, hopefully, hungover uh, <laughs> from uh, from the Tuesday night elections. And uh, guys, I can't say it enough. Get out and vote. 
get your friends to vote, get your family to vote, get your younger generation to vote. Uh, I've got, I've really been kicking my younger generation hard, telling them the stakes for kids that don't follow politics. I've been, been telling them what, what's at stake here for us and, uh, and we will see what happens. So with that, thanks for joining the show. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>